Here we are, rainy. It's cold. I can't believe how cold this spring has been. I can see my breath practically crystallizing in front of me last night when I went outside. It's not rainy and cold. I mean, I'm, I'm shivering. I'm shivering, and it's May. But uh, I've also been in a state of pure panic that I won't go into. But it's an interesting experience because you, you can't feel good. But like I mentioned before, that little meditation lesson I learned four or five years ago, four years ago, however long ago that was, where I, uh, you know, I was meditating, just had just gotten into it, had just reached that point where I was starting to understand what meditation is and actually get into it. And this is shortly after I learned about my death, my death allergy to bees. So I'm sitting there meditating in my house, and I just hear, suddenly hear a bee in my house. Just somehow. Door wasn't open. Window wasn't open. It seems to have come in through my sink drain. Or ended up there, but that house was falling apart. It was exposed to the elements. It's entirely possible that there was some, like, exposed part of that pipe outside. And a bee came in through it. But, it, you know, it caused me this severe anxiety because I was trapped in my small rustic cabin-like house that I lived in at the time with a bee. And so I had this immediate kind of state of panic, and I got rid of the bee. It was down in my sink drain. It was down in the drain, and it, it appears to have come up through there because I didn't hear it flying around. And so I just turned on the water and drowned it or something, got it out of there. But I sat back down to resume meditation, and was still in the state of panic and anxiety. Like, even though the issue had been resolved, I couldn't get that feeling to leave me. So I just sat there with it, resumed meditation. And it was incredible because I was able to completely isolate the physical sensation from what was going on mentally, where mentally I was no longer worried. Physically, though, I still had this electricity radiating around my abdomen and radiating up and down my arms and it was a very eye-opening moment because I was like there is there is a purely physical side of this where if I can completely remove my mind from the situation completely remove the feeling of being in a state of panic the physical sensation by itself is amazing that's just raw energy. But it's so much energy that you don't even know what to do with it. You can't really put it to use. It's, it's like energy overload. But it was a good lesson where I was like, there is a very physical side of this. And you can't. It is possible to isolate that from what's going on mentally. And I think a lot of people, when they go through their lives, they experience that state of panic, that state of anxiety... But it's almost impossible to separate it from the physical side. Like, what you're feeling physically and mentally are in some sort of painful harmony. And maybe this is like some kind of synesthesia talking, but it feels high-pitched. That feeling of panic and anxiety, it's a very high-pitched feeling, if that makes any sense. 
Which, I guess that does make sense, because you think about alarms. When an alarm goes off, it's a high-pitched noise. In movies, sometimes when they're like a horror movie or a suspense movie, when they're trying to build up to something scary or big, the soundtrack will often take on kind of a feedback sound, like just a steady stream of feedback that builds. So I think there is something high-pitched about that. But yeah, it is something where... You know, a lot of times when you experience that, you can't really separate your mind from your body. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I can do that every time. But uh, I was in a, just a 24/7 state of panic, and I don't think it's over. Tonight's a little better, but I don't think it's over. But I was able to separate my mind from my body a little bit. But it didn't mean I could put it to use. It's not like oh. There's a physical side of this and a mental side of this, and I can isolate them. Didn't mean that I was able to do anything productive, but I think that is kind of a good little experience, or a good little experiment to try out. I think it does give you a little more control over it. Um, and uh, that idea of panic, though, it's, it's an interesting feeling. I mean, you hate it. There's no way to enjoy that. Or if there is a way, it's very hard. But I think it's good for you. As much as it's as much as it's horrible for you, I think it is good to feel that sometimes. As long as you know what you're feeling. But on a totally different topic, I was thinking about my friend Brett that I grew up with. He and I were good friends when we were kids. Played football together. His family took me hunting. They were rednecks, but they were self-professed rednecks. They were proud to be rednecks. And you know what? They were good people. They were fun people. I had so much fun with those people. They were pagans. I've said that before. I've talked on here before about how rednecks are in many ways the true American pagans. And that was them. (laughs) I would bet they don't even know what the word pagan means. And I don't mean that as an insult. It just, it's not that they're too stupid to know what a pagan is. It's simply that, you know, they don't, they don't care. I mean, why would they ever care? But that was, that was kind of my experience with them as a kid. With my friend Brett, he, he was an interesting kid because yeah, he was a redneck. He was into all that stuff. He was into trucks and guns and hunting and sports. And... Uh, on a side note, this is unrelated to my story, but on a side note, there was a time where they came over, over to my house, him and his dad. His dad ruled. He was like a big kid, hung out with us, took us to do cool, manly things. I really appreciate that. But there was a time where he and his dad came to pick me up, and I was playing Final Fantasy III, what's now called Six. But since it was the American version, it was Final Fantasy III for Super Nintendo. And I was like finishing a part, so they kind of had to wait for me for a minute. And we were just, you know, it was a it was a lax day. So they watched me play, and I became very self-aware all of a sudden, because I realized like something like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy three, Final Fantasy six. That is something that like isn't even kind of like me talking about the word pagan, like me saying like, oh, the word pagan means nothing to them. Even though to me they they were true American pagans, that's like Final Fantasy, like, like like telling like like bringing up paganism to people like that. That's like them having to watch you play Final Fantasy three, 
And in particular, it wasn't just that I was playing this weird, like, nerdy fantasy game that's not their thing at all. It's that there was a part that they watched, they watched me play where the main character, Tara, 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 are you saying terror? Tara, Tara. There's a part where the main character, Tara, she's like in a hospital bed or something, and then, or a bed, like she, she's recuperating, and then like she goes mad, like she goes crazy, and she starts glowing. And keep in mind, these are like little RPG sprites. But she turns into this like glowing beast, this pink, glowing pink beast, and flies off, and it lets out a scream, but it's like a 16-bit scream, so it's not even like, it's not like a, an actual recording of a scream. It's like they probably used a, a synthesizer or something to like make something sound like a scream for the game. And she, so she screams and flies out of this bed, glowing pink, and just like flies off somewhere else. And both my friend Brett and his dad just like busted out laughing. It was probably be I mean it was probably <laughs> inconceivable <laughs> inconceivable to them. Like what the fuck is this? But uh it's just a funny memory. Like I and I was very self-aware. Like whereas normally I'd be totally immersed in that game. That's my favorite video game of all time, so I would be totally immersed in that game. But having my, you know, they were kind of like a second family to me for a while and it's like having I mean, I feel the same way probably if my dad watched me play it. Like, my dad would probably feel the same, like, what the heck is this? But anyway, like, uh, the story I was going to get into is I, I just had a memory of how Brett, when we were, I don't know what age we were. Could have been fourth or fifth grade. We were kids. We were playing football and all that. But he suddenly started calling himself Chad. And not just Chad. It wasn't just that he called himself that. It wasn't, he didn't, uh... He didn't go around telling people, like, call me Chad. He just would sign that on things. And not just Chad, but Chad number 13. Because it was like a sports thing. Like, in his fantasy, he was having a fantasy that he was like a football player named Chad. And that he had the number 13. But it became almost esoteric. And so he would write Chad 13. Sometimes he would write Chad 13... Other times he would write Chad number 13. And I think that was probably inspired, you know, not to dissect the beauty of this, but like, it was probably inspired by like professional athlete autographs, because like pro athletes, like they'll sign their name and then they'll put their number. Ken Griffey, number 24. But with my buddy Brett, and they, you know, his middle name wasn't Chad, there were no Chads in his life. Like, maybe there was a chat or two around the school, what we call a chat or two around the school. But this kid, he didn't have any chads in his life. But he just decided that the name Chad sounded cool. Chad sounded cool. I guess he liked the number 13. So I, I was going through some old stuff uh, about a year ago, maybe. Some old uh, things from my childhood. And I found, like, what was a... I guess like an elementary school yearbook, not like a real yearbook, but like an autograph book. I think on the last day of elementary school, like we would go around and just get everybody in our class to sign this little autograph book. It wasn't a yearbook with pictures and everything. It was just like a photocopied little like booklet that had been, I don't know, like bound together somehow. 
But I was going through that and I saw the name written like Chad 13. And it took me a second because I was like, I didn't know any Chads. And then it all came back to me where I was like, oh yeah, that was when Brett was going around. Like, And that's a perfect example. Like, You're supposed to sign your classmates little autograph book on the last day of class. And he was signing the name Chad 13. Chad number 13. And I wonder if he remembers that. I wonder if he remembers that. And what's weird is I've talked about this on here before, but I did the same thing in my own way. Like, my sister's boyfriend's brother had been an NFL player who won a couple Super Bowls. And his name was a very unique spelling of Ricky. A very unique spelling of Ricky. And my sister's boyfriend, like, he he dated her for a couple years, but he spent all of his time with me. He was, like, my older brother for a couple years. And, uh, you know, his brother was his idol. Like, he had this much older brother who had been in the NFL and played. He had won two Super Bowls. Big deal. So that guy, I mean, you can can imagine having an older brother like that. That guy's got to be like a superhero to you. So he would talk about his brother all the time. Like, all, you know, all day long he was telling stories about things his brother did, things his brother said. And, uh, like, I... In turn, like I was in like second or third grade, so I was like, you know what? That guy's awesome. Your brother, <laughs> your brother's awesome. Now I started to kind of get into it. I was like, this guy is a superhero. And two, being obsessed with the NFL, being obsessed with football, that was the closest I'd ever been to a real life NFL player. Like, you know, those I didn't, you know, there was nobody in my life growing up who knew an NFL player like that. And what's what's interesting, too, is that in addition to his brother being an ex-NFL player, my sister's boyfriend's brother-in-law had been an NFL player, too. And I knew him. I met him. And he was divorced from my sister's boyfriend's sister. It's getting complicated here, mapping out a whole family tree. But he was divorced from my, my sister's boyfriend's sister. And he was gay. You gay. He was gay. No, it turned out he was gay. Athletic, like former linebacker. Like muscular, athletic. You know, good-looking ex-NFL player. Lived by himself. Lived by himself in a, you know, a fancy condo. And then I was told, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's gay. And that was interesting. It was like that Archie Bunker episode. It was like that episode of All in the Family where Archie Bunker finds out that his drinking buddy, who's like this, I think another ex, I think he's an ex-baseball player, ex-football player, actually. He drinks with him at the bar, and he thinks he's just the ultimate man's man. He thinks he's like this swinging bachelor. And then he finds out, like like Archie Bunker's being homophobic or something, and then uh, the, the football player or the baseball player, he like looks Archie in the eye, and he sees like, you wanna know something, Archie? You want to know something, Archie? I'm gay. And then Archie's mouth just drops open. It's a good episode, you know? But that was kind of me as a kid. Like, here there's not just one, but two ex-NFL players in my orbit. And finding out that one of them's a gay man. It wasn't, and nobody made a big deal about it. 
Like, I didn't grow up in a family where anybody was homophobic or anything, so... It wasn't like anybody was like, oh, can you believe that? Oh my God. It was just kind of like, here's an interesting fact, and that's what it was. It still is an interesting fact. He went on to coach high school football in the area. And when I was in driver's ed many years later, one of the kids in my driver's ed class was a, uh, he was a, on that team. Like he was on the high school football team where the gay ex-NFL player coached. And he was talking, and it was a big deal because, like, when your when your coach is an ex NFL player, you know that's a big deal to you. That's like getting close to the sun or something. And in Driver's Edge, sure enough, this guy's like, "Yeah, I'm playing for the Inglemore football team, dude. Our 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 coach is Sam. Like Sam, I'm not gonna say his last name, not that it matters, but he's our coach is Sam. Blah blah blah. And." Uh, I remember listening and kind of smiling, and I was like, I wonder what he'd think if he knew he was gay. Because, like, as of right, I, I doubt the team knows. You know, I doubt this high school football team knows their coach is gay. They just know that he's an ex-NFL player. But I wonder what this guy would think. You know, not that he would think the worst, but just it would probably blow his mind a little bit. He'd think differently. It would change his life to know that. <laughs> it would change his life in a small way to know that his football coach is a gay man. But anyway, back around, you know, so this other brother was named Ricky, the brother, the brother who was also an ex-NFL player and was not gay, he was not gay, he, uh, his name was Ricky, and just because he was, tr- you know, he was talked about like a superhero by my sister's boyfriend, so he kind of became a superhero to me, like I saw his jerseys. I, he had cards, like he had trading cards with his image on him. I mean, that's a big deal to a kid. And it dawned on me one day. You know, like I had a light bulb moment where I was like, oh, his name's Ricky. My name's Eric, and there's no nicknames for Eric. I could go by Ricky. I could use the name Ricky. I didn't, I never told a single person to call me that. I never asked to be referred to as Ricky. But there are a couple school assignments where I signed my name Ricky Stonefelt. It was just, it was like a little identity experiment. You know, and that's why I understand like these kids who are exploring identity today, and even though I think a lot of it's misguided and way too far out there and way too politicized, I understand that urge. Being in second grade, being like, yeah, you know, my name's Eric, and there's no nicknames for it. There's not really much I can do with that. Oh, hey, you know, there's this superhero ex-football player in my life to some degree. His name's Ricky. I could go by Ricky, too. Eric, Eric, Ricky. So that's my own version of Chad 13. I didn't have a number. It wasn't Ricky 12. It wasn't Ricky 12. But it was my own form of Chad 13, Chad number 13. But what's funny is I have this weird embarrassment about the Ricky thing. Like when I look back on that, like I was going, my mom had saved some old school assignments and I found one of those. I found an old homework assignment and this lasted like a week. This wasn't something that I did for months. I think I did it on like two homework assignments. But my mom had saved one of them 
which is kind of a funny thing to do. Like, I know parents do that, and, like, my mom didn't, like, think about it, but she just had, like, a trunk in the back of a closet that was filled with old schoolwork, and a lot of it was art, and I understand keeping that. Like, I'm really glad she kept some of my art that I did as a kid. But there were also some homework and school assignments in there, and I know that that's something that... My mom isn't the only person to have done that. I've heard about other people doing that, too. Like, you want to remember... I guess you you know you want to be nostalgic at some point about like your kids early homework assignments but unless it's like a project there's not really a reason to keep it you know if it's a project of some kind that makes more sense like if, if there's if there's a piece of the person a piece of the kid in there that's a little different but random homework assignments it's a weird thing to keep but I saw the name Ricky Stonefeld and I cringed I was like oh fuck that's embarrassing and it's stupid to do. Like, I, like it's silly to me that I still cringe at things that I did when I was 12, you know, 12. I mean, in this case, like nine, eight or nine. But it's silly that I still cringe at that. Which makes me wonder about Chad 13. You know, did Chad 13 cringe? Does he remember? Because one of the things is, like, unless you have friendships that reinforce this stuff, it's easy to forget it. Like, my mind is deep in the past all the time anyway. I'm always thinking about random little tiny details growing up. You know, my childhood best friend Nick, he's the same way. And so we'll communicate about that stuff. I'll be like, you remember this name? Remember this? And he says, yeah, do you remember this? But I wonder about people who don't have that in their life. Like, people who don't remember as much. People who forgot childhood, maybe. But then, uh, like, somewhere in the back of his mind, does he remember Chad 13? I should find a way to anonymously contact him. I should send him a letter in the mail. And just, just a, a piece of paper and just crudely written on it. Is you just say Chad 13, Chad number 13. See what he does. See if that jogs his memory. You got to be careful though. Like you could make someone go crazy. You could, that could be the thread that if you pull on, like their whole brain can unravel. Like if I reminded that kid, one sec here. Like if I reminded that kid that he signed his name as Chad 13 for the better part of a year. That might be the thread that just starts everything unraveling. You never know. So you got to be careful. You know, you got to be careful with other people's memories. Because you might bring up one weird little thing that they don't think about anymore. And then it's all just in the wind from there. Their, brain, their mind is just scattered. Blown in a million different directions. Chad 13. Chad 13's brain just scattering in a million different directions. Okay, I thought I was done after that Chad 13 business. That little Chad 13 business. <laughs> that little Chad 13 business you had going on. Now I thought I was done after that. But I just popped in the store. Just had a, like three or four things to get. And so I didn't get a basket. I didn't, I didn't get a hand basket. And, uh, so I, you know, I had like three things in my hands. Like I had like small things, like, like some bananas, a small bag of nuts, newts, small bag of newts, and, uh, 
like one other thing that was easy that I could easily hold on to. I was having no issues whatsoever holding things. And I went down the soap aisle, what they call the soap aisle. There was a young woman, probably maybe my age or younger. We didn't even look at each other. I didn't even see her face. I, I didn't. I did not see her face once. And uh, I ended up kind of kneeling down a few feet away from her while I was looking at soap. And I was 100% focused on like, you know, I want to get some cheap soap. I want to get some cheap soap, baby. I'm looking for the cheap soap. But I was just kneeled down there and she was a few feet away, like four or five feet away maybe. And then I just hear out of nowhere, she doesn't even turn to look at me. I hear out of nowhere, you should get a basket so you can carry more stuff. And then she just sort of walked away. You should get a basket so you can carry more stuff. But it was kind of like, it wasn't aggro. It was very, it was kind of lethargic. You should get a basket so you can carry more stuff. And what gets me about it, one, just to say that, just to, like, I can't even imagine telling another person in the store, and here's the thing, I'm not mad about it. I'm just, I'm confused. I can't imagine, like, saying to another person in the store, you should get a basket so you can get more stuff. Because I wasn't struggling to carry what I had. I've done that. I've certainly gone into a store and said, like, I'm only going to get four things. I can carry it. And then I, I see something else, and I see something else, and I end up carrying a bundle like an idiot. That was not one of those times. I, I Everything was manageable. But she felt the need to encourage me to get a basket so I could get more stuff, which is weird because it implies that I was going to be getting more stuff. Like, she was either telling me to buy more, or she assumed that I was going to buy more. Therefore, I would need a basket. I didn't respond because I didn't realize she was even talking to me. Because she never turned to actually address me, it took me a second for it to even register, but there was nobody else around, and I'm the only guy with no basket. So it was clearly directed at me, but it just confused me. And I'm like, that's an interesting thing, too, because like a man would never say that to another man. Like, if, if I was in, if, if the same exact scenario played out and a man was, like, a few feet away from me and said, you should get a basket so you can carry more stuff, I would think something was so wrong with him. I, I, would, <laughs> I would think that something was so wrong with him. So wrong. Because that would be, it would be insane. I mean, it reminds me of an experience I had at a bar many years ago. I was out on the patio drinking by myself. There were a couple of guys like a table away. And at one point a young lady walked out to the patio, stood in the doorway and just said out loud, my friends aren't out here. And then turned around and went inside. Like she went out, like assessed the patio to see if her friends were out there and they weren't. So she loudly announced to everybody in the ditziest voice imaginable, my friends aren't out here and everybody looked and I just laughed and I, I turned to these guys who I didn't know and I just said imagine if a guy did that 
and, and, and like there was a pause and then one of the guys just cracked up but it's true like imagine <laughs> imagine if a guy did that that's not you don't see it but it, even though it was kind of like a like a it was kind of like a ditzy drunk girl maneuver it's something really only a girl does or could do my friends aren't out here but it's kind of the same thing here where it's like imagine if a guy just said that to me here imagine if a guy said to me in the grocery store you should get a basket so you can get more stuff in this kind of lethargic but matter-of-a-fact way I would think something was really wrong with him I already think there might be something wrong with this woman but it also kind of fits like that's the kind of thing a woman notices and cares about It goes back to all these kind of cliche man-woman dynamics, man-woman jokes for that matter, like men not wanting to look for directions, men wanting to carry all of the groceries in in one trip, men not wanting to get a basket in the store. But no, it would be totally different. I mean, not, not, I still think it would be weird to say something to somebody but it would be a little bit different if I was like juggling 10 things, if I looked like an idiot. But everything, I had like three things at that point. I left the store with four things total. All of them were very easy to carry in my two hands. I didn't even have to like bread basket it. I didn't even have to like hold, like cup them across my chest. Like I could, I was literally able to hold everything I bought in my two hands, my two hands. So that made it all the more strange that she made this kind of passive aggressive comment that I should get a basket so I can get more stuff. Who says I'm getting more stuff, lady? Who says I'm getting more stuff? But I also think that's a weird thing for a lot of women, is the idea of going to the grocery store for like, I mean, going to the grocery store every day to get three things. I don't think women do that as much. Like when I see women in grocery stores, like they're loading up. They have a list and they load up. A list and a load. List and load. You've heard of lock and load, well this is list and load. But uh, you know, women, they, they write down a big list and they load up. She had a big, she had a huge basket. I didn't see what was in it, but she was obviously getting stuff. But I think that's a little foreign to the average woman too, is the idea. I'm just going to go to the store and get three things and be out of there in a second. But it did seem like a really, uh, like an essential man-woman moment. Like she noticed me, even though she didn't look at me, she noticed me. I mean, she must have had eyes in the back of, their head, of her head. I, didn't, I never even saw her face that I know of. But it goes back to what I've said a million times, which is that women are so observant. I've said this before. Like, women go in a room, and I love this about women, but they go in a room and they know everybody who's in there and what they're doing. And so, you know, even though she never even looked at me, those eyes in the back of her, of her head 
managed to see what I was up to, which is not using a basket. And then the, the need to like give me advice. Because yeah, like if that was a man saying that, that's fighting words. Men have killed other men for less than that. For telling them to get a basket so they can buy more stuff. So they can get more stuff. And like maybe in her head, she imagined me going around the store for another half hour just adding things to my arms. But no, she she saw she literally saw me buying the last thing I was buying. And I had total I had control over all four of those products. But threw me for a little loop, had to say something about it. You should get a basket so you can get more stuff. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.